0: Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor.
1: And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert
0: on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional.
1: everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today we have another installment of Lost Letters and before we get started we do want to give a disclaimer that this particular letter does revolve around the topic of sexual assault. So we do want to give everyone a trigger warning, a disclaimer that today's topic may be a bit triggering so, please proceed with caution. Please do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Uh, with that said, we will be jumping in. You know how we do. We always start off with our check-ins. How are you doing, Sasha?
0: That was a really good introduction because I myself am nervous for the episode, but I want to do a real check-in aside from the topic that we'll be discussing today. Last night, I went out to my very first Broadway show. At- hey! After the pandemic, yeah. And I saw Thoughts of a Colored Man. I Ooh, highly, I highly, highly recommend it. Honestly, but like it was one of the, the best. It was spoken word. It was dope. It was super dope. It was tightly put together. It's different stories of different men and their Black men and their experience in this world. And it was Amazing. And like for for me as a mental health counselor, and like I, I think about identity and how our, our environment affects us. I mean, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It was really, really good. It got me thinking about everyday normal people's story and how we don't speak to it enough. I'm very grateful for this podcast specifically and the fact that Crystal and I do it and that we had the I- idea and we can put it together and that we're both creative enough and we just kind of sync up naturally. And we can tell the everyday normal person's story because I think there's so much value in it. And I think that there's so much that gets lost within um, our society. And like we get caught up in different things for different reasons. But um, it helped me realize like, yo, there's a lot that I have in my life that I am grateful for. And there's so much more that I want to do with the privilege that I have and the, the platform that I have So. I'm just feeling, like, inspired and really grateful, even if this episode is (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking.
1: Yeah, no, that's actually beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. As far as how I'm doing, I do feel like I'm kind of coming down from this burnout. Like, I think I had reached, like, peak levels, like, a couple of weeks ago, and I think things are calming down just a little bit, and I'm feeling like I have more space to breathe and kind of, like... Chill and take care of myself, so I'm happy about that, but I will say right now, I'm definitely a little like nervous going into this episode just because I feel like it is potentially like just very heavy and there's a lot that goes into um just anything related to sexual assault, and it's a little heavy, and I think like it it has the potential to to weigh on you, so I think I'm just a little nervous about that, but otherwise. I'm on the up and up, and I'm happy about that.
0: All right, we're going to start with the lost letter. Just really quickly, remember, it's anonymous. The names that we are using are not real people's names. We are just telling someone's story. And through the letter, we're going to be talking about uh, in different ways through the mental health perspective of what really is being said and, of course, um, the things that we were never told. So today's letter is written by um, a woman who had an experience, which you'll hear more about in the letter with a specific person. And um, here we go. Dear Erin, it's been five years since you took away something special from me. Being so young, I never thought that what happened was wrong. But now being older and wiser, I realized how much it really wasn't okay. How much baggage I carry around. You may not know how much it affects me because it never usually affects the other person. But to me, you took away so many beautiful opportunities without you even knowing it. From having amazing relationships with people to even understanding what consent actually means and that no matter what part of the process you're in with someone, you can always retract your consent. I held the clothing it happened in for so long. I had moments where I blacked out and relived my emotions. I even let myself go through certain things on my own when I had such a big support group. If there's one thing I've learned from you, it's that I want to be the person someone can have when they're at their lowest because I never let myself have that. That as a woman, I should never be too comfortable with my surroundings because you never know when you're around an attacker and to let go of things that remind me of you. Yesterday, I sat down with my special someone and finally let go of those stupid pants. You never know how hard it is to let go of a hard memory until you have one. Even if you think you're over it, you see or smell things and now you're just reliving those memories. You're out with friends and you can't enjoy the moment because of the anxiety. Having trust issues because you believe everyone is going to take advantage of you. But after five years, I grew, I learned, and I lived through some amazing moments without having to think of you. And that is what I call progress. Not with love. D. Whew.
1: Um, A short letter. And at first, it might not be 100% clear what... Um, is talking about, but I think it becomes very clear towards the end of the letter that this person experienced a sexual assault from someone who it seems like she knew to a certain degree. Before we get started, I do kind of want to lay a little bit of a foundation about um, the types of sexual assault and abuse that someone can experience, um, just so that we kind of all have one framework to work off of. The first type of sexual assault and someone that we might be familiar with is rape, which is a forced sexual contact um, with someone who does or does not consent or can't consent, whether the person is intoxicated, not legally old enough. Um, And then there's also uh, date rape, um, which occurs between two people who have an established relationship. Every state has their own laws and things like that, but These are the kind of examples that kind of could fall under rape. Um, Also, intimate partner violence. Just because you are actually with someone um, and you are in a relationship with someone, that does not mean that you are entitled to any form of sexual intimacy. Um, So that also can count under this category. And that's really what it seems like this particular letter writer experienced. Then there's child molestation, which is any sexual contact with a child. Um, and that usually occurs when a child is too young to know what's happening or to fight back or to, yeah, like they just really don't, don't get it.
0: All right. Okay. This is why we had a trigger warning, huh? Uh, you just said a mouthful. But I do want to point out uh, that this is the reality, especially for those who listen to our podcast to learn. I know that this may be heavy. And if you find yourself kind of not wanting to hear the episode, I respect that. Um, But I I, I think it's really important that we do say these things and we talk about them because they happen so often. I, as a therapist, I I think sexual abuse for me at this point is something that's like a norm, which is so fucked up to say. But it's true because I've heard it so many times from both women and men, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm not and I, yeah you'd be surprised you'd be really really surprised so I think that this is something we should speak about more because once we start bringing light to it and the reasons that it happens and the fact that it happens so often maybe it could stop happening as often maybe it will happen less uh, I think that that's my hope for me when I was listening to the list I kept thinking about consent in mm-hmm. every situation that you described there was absolutely no sense of consent and I think that when we think about consent, we're, we all understand like, yeah, I like this and I want this. And it's very easy to say yes or no. Right. But I don't think so, because when you really start thinking about what consent is and what it looks like, it's so detailed that you're like, oh, shit, I never thought of it that way. So I actually uh, read an article. Um, it's from 2016 by Zana Rangalova. I know I'm butchering her name, my apologies. She's a sex researcher. This article was featured on Teen Vogue and it's called Everything You Need to Know About Consent That You Never Learned in Sex Ed, uh, which is basically everything. <laughs> <I see>. so, <laughs> and like I and I and the the person who wrote the letter does speak to the fact that she did not consent. She said that mm-hmm. she she felt attacked, right? So if you're feeling attacked, then that means that you were not giving consent and that's something you didn't really want to do. Um mm-hmm. so Number one, which I love, is to avoid vulnerable partners. And that goes for both men and women, because men and women do this. This is something that I just want to put out there. Um, When people are intoxicated, or you know they're sexually inexperienced, or you know they're also in a new situation, if you see people acting recklessly or immature, I know a lot of the times we put the blame on that person, like, why did they even get there in the first place? But you also have a responsibility to be like, you know what, I'm not going to fuck with that because this person is vulnerable, right? If their physical or mental capacity to make informed sexual decisions is impaired or limited, um, all these things have to do with, are they coherent enough to really understand the decision they're making? And if you know that there's a part of you that's saying, nope, they are vulnerable. That's exactly what it means. Um, there's something that I do want to speak to with regards to this vulnerability. So I was talking about this specifically with my partner, um, And he has a lot to say on this topic because he feels very strongly about the way that men show up and how us as women, we don't recognize is predatory. Right. So if you think back to the letter, when this person stated they felt attacked, you feel attacked Mm -hmm. by a predator, a predator. A lot of us have these little ways of saying like, oh, they didn't mean to. They didn't know what they were doing. Um, But he as a man, actually, he feels very strongly that men are taught to be this way. You know, he feels that men are taught to kind of hone in on the situation where a woman is vulnerable or their partner is vulnerable, whoever it is, um, because this is the culture we live in. Right. And he thinks that they're taught to do these things, A, because they themselves have no boundaries and B, Mm. they've learned as men that this is what they do. It's a very performative way of showing up and they are going Mm. to look for their chances to just kind of slide into the door and, you know, okay let me just get my foot in and if they let me stick my foot in just a little bit then they must that must mean that yes I can it's crazy because like I'm thinking back right and we're just on number one of this list of consent (laughs) I can't count the amount of times that I know I was vulnerable and I didn't recognize it in the moment if men do have predatory behaviors and this is something that's taught to them Um, it's normalized as well right Mm -hmm. and then how women normalize it and then how it gets normalized within society and our culture like it's almost as if being vulnerable is seen as the ideal version of the woman you want to be with right because that means that you can get what you want it's not necessarily like oh I really want that person it becomes I want that person because they're going to give me exactly what I want
1: right I think that when you You've been speaking uh, when you started speaking about consent. I feel like consent sounds really good in theory, but mm-hmm. it's really hard in practice. It's like when you go to school to become like an engineer, or you know, like even for us, like mental health professionals. Like I know all of the theories, like I got this, and then you're with a client. And you're like, fuck, like, this is different, like, in practice. Mm-hmm. And I feel like consent is one of those things where it is really easy to talk about, but it can feel very vulnerable in the moment, especially when you consent, yes, like, you consent in the affirmative and then decide maybe, like, halfway through, which is something that our, our letter writer did say like that, you know, like she finally learned that you can revoke consent at any point, but it's really awkward, really uncomfortable. Um, you're putting a lot of faith or trust or power in the other person to be able to accept that, like, okay, like actually I changed my mind and I don't want this anymore. Um, and I think that for anyone who's in that position, but especially for a woman, it can be really scary, especially when you feel like this person can physically outpower you. So there's that piece. And I, I think like when you were speaking about um men getting what they want, that was actually what I was thinking about. I think for me what came up was like men just wanting what they want and getting it and justifying it in their mind of like I'm just gonna do whatever. You know, like I'm going to accept and I'm going to create the narrative in my head that this was consent in the affirmative and ignore the Mm. the negatives or like the the doubts because I I want this and I think like maybe when someone's sexually aroused or wants to engage in these behaviors it could be difficult to then kind of be like putting those physical needs to the side and you know and kind of like listening to the other person rather than engaging in what it is that you want and and we're saying men and women, but it could obviously go for any gender, anyone who identifies as any gender. Um, I think just in society, I think a lot of the conversation surrounds men and women. Um, so I just wanted to clarify on that
0: piece. I really do feel that it has to do with anybody who's engaging in a sexual act. Or um, an intimate act or a vulnerable act. Um, something where you are exposing parts of yourself that you don't on an everyday level, right? That you're, that you're recognizing that, well, that's the problem. Most people don't recognize that there has to be mm. trust established first, right? But you wouldn't do this with this person unless you have trust and unless you feel very comfortable. Um, so for me, when I think about consent and I think about sex, and I have more, but I, I want to talk about the performative piece of sex first. Because I think that this is why consent becomes this word that we have in our minds that, yeah, of course, yes or no. Right. But it becomes this thing that we don't want to do because it's so weird. Right. Because sex is taboo, but it's overly glorified in our culture. So there's this weird confusion and this conflict of like we're going to have pieces of it, but we're not going to talk about everything. So we engage in one Mm. way, but we don't talk about everything that is involved with sex, like trust. And then you think about how women are portrayed within sex and you think about how men are portrayed. So, for example, women have to be um, flirty or, um, you know, this very sensual partner, but a virgin at the same time. Right. Like these are messages we receive. And then men have to just know what the fuck they're doing, that you could be a virgin and have to know what you're doing because you're the man. Right. So there's right. all this pressure to show up and look sexy. And there's this quite. And you even think about the way sex is portrayed in movies like when people have sex for the first time shit doesn't go down like that it's mad (laughs) awkward (laughs) and it's and if you really think about the reality of sex sex is awkward because you're even if you wholeheartedly trust this person you're learning about them you're figuring out what feels good to them you're recognizing that what feels good for me doesn't feel good for them and just fyi if you are not thinking about sex in these ways maybe we need to go back to that consent list maybe you need to start figuring out like, okay, I have the right to consent to these things, or I have to start asking for these things. And I think that that's why consent looks so unsexy and people kind of reject it because, you know, nobody really wants to have responsibility when it comes to sex. Sex is supposed to be fun. But the reality is that it's actually a, an act that you have to be very responsible with. And this is something that we don't talk about. This is something that we don't learn. Right? Um, you have to establish reciprocal interest before you start thinking about physical touch so what that means is great you know yeah you know how like you think about like oh he wants me or she wants me because she's giving me those fuck me eyes right like how long mm-hmm. like we've heard that but that don't mean yeah. they want to have sex <laughs> you know like we take that as consent it's not just something that kind of comes in and then, like you can come and sweep them off their feet and kiss them without consent no like you have to ask, are you really interested in me? Because this is the vibe I'm getting. And even saying that, yo, that shit is not sexy at all. I,
1: I, you know what's funny? I, for someone who has experienced trauma, I feel like that is, sounds very sexy to me. Because I'm like, you care about my <sighs> safety, my emotional well-being? sign me the hell up like please like but I understand like in general society it definitely doesn't sound sexy but I also feel like we need to we need to also like reframe that narrative as a society because I think like thinking about the fact that someone cared enough about you to ask like I think like we really need to think about what that actually means uh, for mm-hmm. us as individuals, and we need to be like, oh, okay, actually, no, that it might not feel sexy in the moment, because we're not kind of like, you know, engaging in the sexual act. But I think like, when you really start to think about what that means, like someone cares, and like, even if you don't have necessarily that intimacy of a close relationship, but the fact that someone actually cared enough to ask, like... We need to reframe that because that is very sexy.
0: <laughs> it is very sexy. like this is where consent and sexy comes from, right? So I think establishing rules, right, like or limits, it feels unsexy, but yo, that is sexy because that's how you're gonna enjoy it to the max when you're actually engaging in it because you're not gonna be in your head about like, oh my god, da da da, what should I do? Like, mm-hmm. no, you both understand. It's kind of like a contract. You both understand what you're getting yourselves into and how far you want to take it. Like, are emotions involved for you? Is it just a hookup? Because you know what, I can't handle that. Um, And I think that that's very sexy, right? Like, I agree with you.
1: Yeah. And I would say I think it opens the door up for communication. I think, like, a lot of people struggle with communicating. I think, like, if someone has the courage to ask for consent, it opens up that door for communication. So I think it could just overall be a very effective strategy for engaging in any sexual act with this particular person.
0: Well, speaking of communication, number three on her list was uh, (laughs) negotiating consent verbally. And it's just basically asking for permission, right? Like, is it okay if I take your shirt off? Is it okay if I touch you? Is it okay if I do X, Y, Z, right? And this, I feel like this is something that people don't necessarily speak about enough um, because I have been in these positions where uh, in, a, in a very raw physical way, I may want somebody, right? I may want you to take my shirt off. I may want you to do all those things to me. However, I, may, I know that I'm not ready for it emotionally. So these mm. things have to be asked. It's not like because then if you're engaging it just because your body wants it, it you're not in right. line. Right. And then you're going to left be left feeling some kind of way. And overall, uh, number four is establishing like a blanket consent ahead of time. If you're engaging in a, a sexual partnership or whatever it is that you want to call it, if sex is involved and touch is involved and you're crossing of boundaries, technically is could be a potential danger for you. You have to start talking about it from the very beginning. It doesn't just happen in a fluid manner the way it does in movies, right? It doesn't go down like that. And I think that sex is, it can be really amazing, but it's super vulnerable and exposing and so much comes with it that you're gonna have to create boundaries within it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think consent is a really important piece of this conversation. But I did want to go back very briefly to the piece about about wanting um, to engage in something and not being emotionally ready. I think that I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that's also how um, a lot of people who have engaged in sexual acts feel confused. Um, because I think that we assume that because my body wants this thing that Mm -hmm. you are ready for it and I think like we sometimes forget like yes our minds and our bodies are connected but sometimes the body just acts as it acts right like we are primal beings we have desires right like so I think that that's a really important piece that I did kind of want to highlight again because I think a lot of people blame themselves it's like well you know, I was, you know, aroused and um, like, I, you know, like I felt this magnetic pull, but then I was kind of like hesitant. And then you'd like, what do I want? What don't I want? And I think that we also need to bring that up so that people don't internalize anything that happens to them or like, As their fault or you know like understand that when things feel confusing that's why sometimes our body acts outside of our our logic and our outside of our brain and and that's one of those ways that it it can happen
0: I was thinking about my idea of consent and the fact that I don't think it wasn't until this year particularly that I started truly understanding the meaning of consent and -hmm. when I look back at my history with uh, my sexual partners, fuck yo. It it feels very uncomfortable to say, but like I don't feel like there was full consent on my end, mm. even though it looked like there was, right? So like, if you think about what we're talking about, um, the fact that we, you know, we never really talk about consent, the fact that no one ever talks about what sex really is, and then you're young, engaging in in sex, engaging in sex, and uh, you know, and then you think about <laughs> the performative piece. And at least me as a woman, like how I should be showing up and I should be doing these things and how those things were also very confusing for me. And I don't think I've solidified those things until now that I'm in my thirties. And no one ever told me that I I should be doing that, right? Like I never so it's so interesting. Like when you don't get permission for certain things, you don't feel that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you have the right to, right? So um I was thinking about specifically this one guy who I met after I had broken up with my, part- my, my ex-boyfriend of 10 years. And I was really hurt. And I was almost like in a daze. I remember that. And I was hurt because he literally had a girlfriend a month after me. Mm. After 10 yeah. years, right? Like that, that shit killed me. And I remember just kind of wanting to force myself to get over it and move on. And then I met this guy who performatively, he was doing all the right things. I remember thinking like, oh, he's doing everything he has to do. He must be interested in me. Mm. And I wasn't even thinking about what I wanted. I was almost like putting his needs first. And then I remember um, we we started having sex. And I don't even think I wanted to have sex. I think I was just kind of doing it. And it's weird, right? Because I I, I put blame on myself. But if you really think about it, I never was given permission to even think about these things. So mm. is that blame all mine, right? Um, and I remember him sleeping over my house one time and I just, I couldn't go to sleep with him in my bed. I remember thinking like, what the fuck? Like, this is my apartment, I want you out. And I didn't tell him that. And I didn't tell him that because I didn't want to disturb him, right? So I was engaging in this relationship for many different reasons. And I remember feeling like something was really off with him. I wasn't comfortable, but then people were like, is he doing X, Y, and Z, and da da, 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 And I was like, well, yeah. And they were like, oh, he's great. And and something happened in that specific dynamic between me and this guy, where I broke. He he infiltrated my world so much. And he knew what he was doing, speaking about predatory behaviors. He knew, right? It would, I would hear things like, oh, why are you being like that? Or oh, come on, it's not that serious. Or, you know, like, and then me as a, a 26-year-old girl, cause literally I don't feel, I think this is the first year I ever felt like a woman. <laughs> um, as a 26 year old girl, I was like, okay, I guess. And I was very vulnerable. And he knew that he knew I just got out of a relationship and yo, he just fucking stuck his foot in between the door and fucking pried his way in. And I felt so confused And I look back at consent and like, we never had these conversations about sex and whatever. Everything just happened. I think I've engaged in ways where consent was not at the forefront of the the conversation. It wasn't something that like I spoke about. And I look back now and I I feel dirty. I feel nasty. So much so to the point where like where I decided to end it because something really drastic happened. And it kind of took me out of that, that, Mm -hmm. I guess, dynamic. I couldn't even confront him because I was so scared to confront him and then be blamed for what happened right. when it was all him looking back. And I just wanted nothing to do with him. People would ask me, I'll be like, no, nah, no, nah, whatever. Nah, you know, it, it was like, I didn't want, I couldn't yeah. talk about it. I don't think there was sexual assault involved, but then I really look back at every single thing that happened. And it's like, did I really consent though?
1: Right. And I think that I'm glad that you brought this up one I'm glad that you're able to speak about it and process it and kind of put this story out there. I think it's super brave and I'm very proud of you. So I'm just like, there's a proud friend moment happening right now Um, in terms of just kind of like listening to you really look at both sides, right? Like look about, look at, you know, kind of like what was going on with you and then being able to see the reality of the situation. But I do feel like stories like these are very important because I think it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the whole like Me Too movement, where I think people were trying to kind of place certain situations in a box or Mm -hmm. on like on a scale of like well you know like there was the story with Aziz Ansari about the kind of like date gone wrong and then you have the Harvey Weinsteins of the world right like who there's just no denying kind of like how wrong and what it is and Mm -hmm. I think that you know your story speaks to kind of like the everyday experiences of anyone right Um, regardless of gender who's going on a date who maybe is attracted to this person who maybe feels vulnerable may think they want to get involved and and it kind of enters this very like sticky um piece that's I think what keeps this kind of behavior continuing because we can't box it because it's, you know, like even when I was saying like the different types of sexual assault at the beginning of the episode it's not you know it doesn't fall into into this category of like rape but i would say maybe it falls into like a gray area underneath that but you know like it doesn't fall into the these other categories and i think it makes it really confusing and i think that that's where people start to blame themselves because it's like well i didn't say no i didn't know what i wanted and i feel like that's where maybe the conversation on boundaries like internal and external boundaries can come in if you were to go back to our boundaries episode, we talk about how boundaries are negotiable and boundaries are malleable. And like, you know, sometimes you do build up like this very thick brick wall and then sometimes you're like, actually, like that should be a fence, right? Like a fence mm-hmm. that I can see through. Like um, I do feel like there should be space made to process also when those things happen Um, and and just being able to talk about it in very real ways because I think it is a very fine line and I think like we don't talk about it enough to be able to kind of assess what those situations really are what they mean
0: so when you're speaking about boundaries right and then we're thinking about trauma because sexual assault is a trauma Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I think it goes all the way back to you know just things like our attachment episode what kind of attachment did you have with your, your parents, right? Like what boundaries were established? Did they give you permission, right? Like, so permission for consent. Did they teach you how to say no when you are uncomfortable, right? And how many of us don't get taught to say no. And this isn't mine again. It's my partner's. He told me when I told him this story, he's like, you know, I never heard you say no once in that story. And he knows Mm. how much trouble I have saying no. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yo, like, and it and how uncomfortable I get when I have when I say no, and that has to do with what I was taught. The things that like when I showed up as my true self, how people reacted, or when I said that I didn't like something, how no one listened, and it, it, mm. and and not just within a sexual situation, right? But within within like, with if I told my mom I didn't want food, I was forced to eat that shit. I remember like mm. chicken hearts, forever trauma, right? <laughs> but it, and it's funny right like and i and I, this is a defense mechanism i'm making it a little funny but these this is where it starts this is where you're mm-hmm. the ability to to own your right to be you it doesn't get encouraged it, it there's no room for it to grow and saying no is like one of the ultimate boundaries right like and fully feeling confident in saying no because i can look back at my past and i've done things just to not say no
1: well, thank you again for being super, super vulnerable. I would be lying if I didn't say I have my own similar stories um, to that effect of what you were saying about this very weird, where are the boundaries? Where's the consent? Um, And I also feel like when someone experiences a sexual assault, right, like especially like this one, because it doesn't seem like there was really consent or um, maybe there was consent and... The person you know, D, uh, the letter writer, did want to retract said consent, but didn't feel safe. Um, and I do kind of want to talk a little bit about the trauma behind mm. something like a sexual assault, um, especially one of this nature. Any trauma that you experience, whether it's neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, is unique in its own way. Um, so I do want to kind of talk a little bit to the effects of what a uh, sexual trauma can can have on a person. So it's complex for different reasons. A trauma such as sexual assault can obviously lead to PTSD. It always leads to PTSD because, again, it is a very jarring experience. So some of the things that you may see for someone is agitation, irritability, hypervigilance, flashbacks. Um, They may relive the tra- traumatic event, which it seems like our letter writer was also experiencing. When she says sometimes that she blacks out and she remembers things, there's obviously fear, severe anxiety, mistrust, which our letter writer wrote pretty much (laughs) very extensively on in in her letter. Depression, obviously, self-destructive behavior. I, I feel like when you when we talk about sexual trauma, I think like there's very there's obviously a range of different reactions. But I feel like sometimes people go into like isolation mode Mm. And kind of retract. And then I think other people kind of like act out. And I so I think like you can see on both extremes um, the, the ways that this one person or two people can have a very similar experience and have very different um, outcomes in terms of what it looks like for them post that trauma. Um, insomnia uh, or nightmares, uh, emotional detachment, which I was saying um, in regards mm-hmm. to the isolation. And yeah, What's and I think the
0: about? Yeah, I just want exactly. to exactly. Yeah, she talks about not using her support group, right? And I think that isolation has a lot to do with what I was talking about before, and like how it pieces in your lack of boundaries, you feeling like you did something wrong, and now I can't tell anybody, and I can't look for support, so I'm just gonna withdraw.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I think a, a big piece of that is really shame. So survivors of any trauma think that they're bad, they're wrong, they're dirty, which you kind of had even alluded to in that situation in that story that you you had said about like this feeling of like disgusting and you know sometimes uh survivors might feel flawed. You know, I I think with shame it's really difficult because shame is kind of sometimes conflated with guilt and guilt is like I did something bad, right? And there's this opportunity for atonement, whereas shame is like I am bad. And once that narrative, whatever it looks like, it's unlikely to be I am bad, right? But it it in some other way, some other words, it kind of gets internalized. It can be really hard to undo that. One of the most effective ways of healing from traumas but especially a sexual assault is kind of reintegrating into your community and um, letting go of that isolation. And I think a big piece of that is letting go of the shame of what happened to you.
0: So I want to speak to the long term effects, especially to what this person who wrote the letter experienced. She said something very interesting of, you know, but now being older and wiser, I really I realized how much it wasn't okay. which I think I've been speaking to. But then she Uh says um, how much baggage I carry around. And you may not know how it affects me because it never really affects the other person and how he took away so many beautiful opportunities without him even knowing it from amazing relationships uh, to even understanding what consent actually means. And this speaks to the behaviors that you start engaging with that you talked a a little bit about, whether that's isolation, right? So if you start Mm -hmm. to isolate yourself, you're removing yourself from any kind of potential experience that can be healthier and teach you better. And then on the flip side, if you start acting recklessly because of your trauma and you start engaging in in ways where you are constantly reenacting like lack of boundaries, then you become somebody who looks like they're consenting. But the reality is that you have no idea why. And you're just doing right. it because it's what you're used to. Um, and that is how certain situations will slowly affect us. And that is why sex should be taken more seriously. right? Like I get that sex yeah. is fun. And I get that we all have our right to want it and do it and how we like. But we should be having more conversations about it. Because it, it, it'll, it does affect you long term. And I can personally talk to that because... I think that a, a lot of my experiences have led up, have led me up to a point where I was performing for others and I didn't mm-hmm. even recognize that. And when it hit me, like there was a lot of pain that I had to undo.
1: And I do want to um, speak to your point a little bit about um, kind of when someone does then engaged in a lot of like sexual behaviors and that's part of their like reaction to the sexual assault I think that we are in a society that's really used to victim blaming it then kind of like compounds right because as a survivor of this trauma you're already believing that it was your fault and then when you have this reaction people and you know to your point Sasha people think you're consenting then it's like okay now it really is my fault think that a lot of why people kind of react in that way where they become maybe overly sexual is because the trauma itself is so jarring to the system Um, and because at that moment that person didn't have control over what happened to them so they feel like if they engage in sexual behaviors and they're maybe the ones who initiate it then they're almost trying to regain their sense of control their sense of autonomy over their body because it's like now no one's going to attack me I'm going to initiate this myself and it's a false sense of safety and it's a false sense of control in an attempt to really make sense of what's uh going
0: on we're talking about a different kind of sexual assault like uh maybe one time right because that's what mm-hmm. the letter is about but if you think about someone who's experienced prolonged sexual assault and if they experienced it when they were younger it's most likely in the family and then how mm-hmm. that will fuck with your way of um interpreting The world and understanding your yourself in relation to other people because attachment again if this is happening within the family people you're supposed to trust it's going to fuck with the way you start just flat out giving yourself to other people it doesn't necessarily mean you have trust it means that you don't have boundaries period um and and us as like the normal everyday world we don't see that right so so as therapists we're trained to spot out sexual misconduct within the family and that's one of the ways
1: um one thing i do want to say and i know that this letter doesn't really allude to um child sexual assault in any in any way but i i do think that it is important to be mindful of children because the the statistics show every so this is from rain which is the rape abuse and incense incest national network. Uh so every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted and every 9 minutes that victim is a child. Um so it's the prevalence of childhood sexual assault is high and I think that with children in particular it leaves them in a position where they're more vulnerable to obviously not learn to engage in boundaries, right? So, similar to what mm-hmm. Sasha said. It can happen at any point in life, but you know, with children, like this is the fun, like this is the fundamental time to kind of teach them these things. Um, but two, it actually um, studies show that for those, the the younger you are when you experience a sexual assault for the first time, the higher the likelihood that you will um, experience multiple um, mm-hmm. types of sexual assaults as you get older. Uh, you haven't really gauged accurate safety. And I think that that's something that happens with anyone who's experienced a trauma, but especially with the sexual trauma. When we we did the trauma episode the first time, we had talked about this false sense of safety when you're always in danger. That's where your body or your sense of self feels at rest, not because it's actually safe, but because it's what you're most familiar with. And then when you start to actually engage in safe, healthy relationships that's when Mm -hmm. your body starts to feel off so that's also um something that can leave people more vulnerable to getting sexually assaulted as they get older especially if the sexual assault happens when you're a child
0: you know again to your point it's so important to talk about it overall because a lot of us are engaging in sexual relationships with people who have been sexually assaulted you'd be surprised how many of us have been sexually assaulted at one point in time of our lives. I'm saying our because we are a collective. And this, as a therapist, I've heard so many stories. And like I said, it's normalized. And if you are engaging with people who have been sexually assaulted, you are engaging with someone who's vulnerable. And that's part of consent. Mm-hmm. And it is yes, your responsibility absolutely. to figure out how you're going to make this person feel safe. And it is your responsibility, even if they don't say it, because now that you know this, right, if you're listening to this and you know it, it's a responsibility. And I think this is something that we steer away from because we don't want responsibility. We just want to have fun.
1: Uh, The last thing I do want to say is I do want to speak a little bit to male victims of sexual assault and abuse, um, because I think that we, we don't talk about it enough, but I will say I know at least two men who were uh, sexually abused as children, and I'm sure there are more men in my life who I'm not aware of what happened to them when they were children. Like, these were just two particular men who were, who felt safe enough to disclose that with me, um, and I'm thankful to them for that. Because of the stigma, right, and the stereotypes Um, I think that a lot of times we don't think that men can be sexually assaulted by women. Like you should like men should know better. Men are the more powerful people. Men are the ones with the control. So how could you possibly ever let someone assault you, Um, especially if it's a woman? Um, So a lot of times men are ridiculed or they're not believed. Uh, So that can make it really difficult for men Um, and we don't create space for them. I will also say that a lot of times our society really glorifies sex for men. And, you know, speaking to Sasha's point earlier about like men, you're the ones who are supposed to be pursuing and like getting what you want. And um, I think that uh, a lot of times we don't realize that, especially for teen, for young boys, teenage boys, that they're also like in a vulnerable developmental stage where they might not fully understand things, you know, like they might be a virgin and they're supposed mm. to know what to do, right? And they're mm-hmm. supposed to like these things and they're supposed to um have this sexual prowess. So I do want to um bring light to this because a lot of young boys are preyed upon by by anyone, by men and women. Um I remember one particular one of the guys that I mentioned was brave enough to share Um, his story he was sexually assaulted by his older male cousin who he looked up to he liked to hang out with like that was his role model and then this was the person who was like engaging in that in that behavior with him and I think that because of the stigma a lot of men don't report their abuse so when we're talking about all of the the psychological effects of trauma from a sexual abuse imagine that just going untreated and for someone to go through their life holding on to those things, that can be very detrimental because it might show up in society, in his everyday life, in a way that's problematic. We need to, one, start to bring light to these issues, but two, destigmatize it and provide support to men who experience sexual assault um, and, you know, just addressing toxic masculinity, period. So that we can create space for healing for everybody. Because it yeah. it's going to benefit everyone. It's not just going to benefit them.
0: Yes. And I think that a lot of the times when we speak about sexual abuse, we always think about the woman, right? But we don't know how often it really is happening because that number was so low. Only 25 out of 1,000 perpetrators actually end up in prison for the crime they committed.
1: Yeah. And... Okay, this will really be the last thing I say. Um, I know that we've talked a lot about um, kind of the effects of this type of trauma, what it looks like. We've shared some anecdotes um, and stories around it, but I do want to speak very briefly um, to healing from sexual trauma. And the reason why I'm not going to go too much more in depth is because honestly, there's really only one way to heal from sexual trauma and you need to speak with a professional to do this work it cannot be something where you are home and healing and listening to po- i mean i love that y'all are listening right now and i appreciate you but this podcast alone it is not enough to help you heal from any sexual trauma so i do want to say that a lot of the treatment for survivors of sexual trauma is really to go and tell their stories out loud Um, And you really have to speak to what happened to you. And I know that sounds really daunting and really scary, and I'm sure it is, uh, but that's really the only way to heal from it. When um, studies show that that's the best uh, treatment for those, um, it's obviously very unpleasant because memories are going to come up and things like that, but... That's really the only way to go through it. Uh, and that can be um, individual therapy, which is recommended, but also group therapy. Just creating the support systems that you need for yourself in order to heal. So um, spending time with loved ones, incorporating daily wellness practices, uh, working up, working on building up your voice, practicing and understanding consent, uh, building upon your boundaries. Those are that's really like the most effective ways to heal from this type of trauma.
0: I also want to add on a little bit to your list, because in healing, you're finding people who are going to respect your boundaries and actually have these conversations with you. So for people who are choosing because it's a choice to be around uh, survivors of sexual assault, you know, there's so many things that you can do to be loving and encouraging. I would highly suggest that you do not take on a helper role. That's not healthy either, mm. right? There's, just because people experience trauma, there's nothing wrong with them per se because then they're going to, it only replays in this idea of that I'm doing something wrong and I, and it, it engages the trauma actually. I would also say, be willing to go through their process with them, right? If they're in therapy and they want you to come along, that's so healing. But I think that because sometimes when you're not quote unquote damaged, right? Because And I'm using mm-hmm. that word specifically because we we tend to be very scared of these um, labels We're like, I'm not the one who who experienced that. And they have to deal mm-hmm. with that. That's always been my experience right. when it comes to therapy, but you're remember it's a choice to engage with this person. If you want to engage with this person and you're choosing to do so, you're also choosing to, to become a part of that, that healing identity. And that's something that people don't necessarily take into consideration very often. This is a sensitive topic and, you have to have the ability to work through these things with that person. And if you know you don't, guess what? You're engaging in a relationship with someone who is vulnerable. And that is your mm-hmm. responsibility to live up to that responsibility. And if you know mm-hmm. you can't, you just may be re engaging the trauma. So I know we're, this is heavy, and I know we're talking about, and I know it feels like we're blaming. No, it's, it's, it's just responsibility. So again, we know that
1: this was a heavy topic, so thank you to anyone who's made it to this point of the conversation, um, and has listened. So definitely make sure to check us out at Never Told Us Pod on TikTok and Instagram. It's the same handle on both platforms, or if you want to, um you know, kind of give any feedback, comments, talk about this week's episode, or if you would like to submit your own lost letter on any topic, it doesn't have to be related to this one specifically, make sure to email us at nevertolduspod at gmail.com.
0: And as always, don't forget to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.